The Gym Class Zeros Podcast, where the zeros are the heroes. Welcome back to another edition of the Gym Class Zeros Podcast. This is actually going to be our last episode before the Christmas break uh, until kind of, I guess, would it be the new year? Gotta check my calendar. Basically, until the new year. So uh, we we will be f- leaving you here after this episode and coming back in a brand new year, the year 2022. So we'll see what that has in store for us. Uh, but this is... So before we jump into that, let's quickly do a roundtable, introduce everybody. If you're new here, I hope you're not, but I mean, hope you're new. That means you're, we're, we're gaining some new listeners. But if you're new, my name is George. Hey, what's up, guys? It's uh, Seti. Uh, wishing you all uh, happy holidays. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Coach, back for another episode, and Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, hold my beer. It's Brewmaster Kyle. Oh, he's bringing it. And we, have, is. we have the... The Couch Scout Hockey back. If you guys are, are loyal listeners, you'll remember him from season one. This is his first appearance on season two, and so we're excited to have uh, Couch Scout Hockey back. Thanks for having me back on, guys. Looking forward to it. It's a great time of the year, you know. We got the holidays, World Junior starting. Couldn't ask for more. So as as a reminder, guys, you can check out Couch Scout Hockey at six one three Couch Scout on Twitter or read his stuff online couchscouthockey.blogspot.com. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Gym Class Zeros Pod with a zero, and on Instagram at Gym Class Zeros Pod. So yeah, I mean, jumping into this is this is season two. Obviously, we're going to be taking a break, coming back in the next calendar year. Does that still consider we consider season two, or does that become like season two point one? Is this is it season three? What do we call that? Season two, just taking a, a holiday break. All right, we'll keep it simple then. Season two, season two continued. One thing that we'll know, whatever we call it, even if it's season 300, uh, if we get there, is we'll always have Bland's Brew of the Week. Uh, so Kyle and Bland, Brewmaster Kyle, what do you got brewing for us this week? Well, I figured to get into the holiday spirit, uh, something sweet, something dark. The Lost Craft Neapolitan Ice Cream Stout. I'm really excited about this one. Uh, never even heard of a ice cream stout before, so... Uh, like you were saying, uh, was it last week about adding a scoop of ice cream to your beer? No, it was two weeks ago. Um, I think I think uh, that might be in order for this beer, but we'll see. Ironically, it was a scoop of Neapolitan ice cream that I had put into my, my beer at the oh, time. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah, you guys don't remember? He called it the... The Napoleon. What again? The Napoleon, the Napoleon ice cream. The Napoleon ice cream. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah close enough was predicting the future exactly oh it actually smells like ice cream mm-hmm. so i think seti's been, been sipping on this couple sips in what do you think seti it's tasty um i'm actually quite surprised uh i think usually when you're combining a bunch of different flavors flavors they kind of get lost within each other but i do think that with the the as as george called it the napoleon ice cream uh the three distinct flavors of vanilla chocolate and strawberry i I do think you actually get uh a good mix of all those different flavors that they don't just kind of lose each other uh in the combination so i i think 
I think they knocked this one out of the park. I'm a big fan of stouts. Uh, actually, that's usually what I drink around around this time of year, and uh, definitely going to keep this one in my rotation because uh, I'm I'm a big fan of this one for sure. Yeah, this one's fantastic. It literally reminds me of Neapolitan ice cream or Napoleon or whatever you guys want to call it. Um, a little unfiltered, a little bit of sediment floating around in there, but it's sweet. It's malty. It's great. I love that Brewmaster Kyle's been bringing us a lot more stouts this season. <laughs> well, for winter, you know, it's uh, it's only fitting. Yeah, yeah. What's your feel on sediment? Is that like a Normal. huge turnoff for you, or is it cool? It's whatever. It's natural. It is natural. Um, it's just personally, if I see sediment at the bottom of my beer, I'm not drinking that last sip, and I know mm-hmm. that makes me less of a man. <laughs> but i uh i usually don't but uh this one it seems to be floating around in there just kind of all in there not falling to the bottom just yet so it's not turning me off yet i'd compare it to like the little like the little bit of coffee rind like the little bit of coffee grinds at the at the bottom of your cup of coffee mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's kind of like it's not the end of the world but i ain't taking that last sip i'm with you on that brewmaster kyle i'm with you yeah so if it's floating around inside my drinking it if it happens to getting there fine but yeah if it's all on the bottom i'm not having it i do have to say as well uh with with all these kind of powerful sweet flavors you also kind of do still get that traditional stout flavor which is nice it doesn't get lost in you know that sweetness of of the neapolitan flavor which is yeah, it still tremendous has that, like, coffee richness um that like dark chocolate kind of flavor, which I guess it comes from the ice cream flavoring as well. But I don't even know. I was looking at they don't list the ingredients, so I don't know how they do this. Um, I don't know if they I'm wondering dump, if uh, I'm wondering <laughs> if the the sediments that we're seeing is like maybe like dry ice or what do you call it? Uh, Freeze dried, uh, like actual ice cream bits or something like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like if it was ice cream, it would dissolve into it. But freeze dried strawberries wouldn't. That would stay solid. I don't know. Isn't it? But isn't I'm it? Interested. The blueberry blonde isn't uh, from Broadhead. Don't they actually put blueberries in it into the mash? I think so, but I do think they filter that beer pretty well. Yeah, so. yeah. But I mean, for um, the flavoring, do you think they put actual Napoleon so. ice cream in? I don't know. Like it tastes like they do because the first sip I took reminded me of mm-hmm. Neapolitan ice cream, Napoleon ice cream. Yeah, we'll have to send them a a quick little Instagram DM. We'll get our, our, our social media intern on that. Uh, if they even find the Instagram page. All right. Final thoughts. Uh, out of 10, where do you put this? We've seen a lot of stouts. Where do you where do you rank this stout on our uh, on our on our list of, of stouts? Uh, it's going to be up there. I think I'm trying to look back at which ones we've had in the past. Uh, I did really like the... Which one was it? The one that kind of tasted. We said like Viva Puffs. That one was really good. I would I would put that oh, yeah. one. I would put that one right water? up there though. Yeah, the peanut white butter, water one. Peanut butter raspberry. Yes, I would. I would put that this one right up there. Maybe I did like the kind of tartness that for the the raspberry uh, flavor gave to to that one. But I, I would say this one's right up there for sure. Uh, but on a scale of one to ten, I would give this one uh, a solid eight and a half nine. Wow. Yeah, I'm. Uh, if I'm ranking the stouts we've tried so far, uh, top for me goes to Brown Cow by Cal Bogey. That nitro infusion can't be beat. Yes, 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 yes. Um, that was incredible. 
I'm going to put this at two, and a very close third would be the white water for me. Yeah, yeah, I think that's my ranking. Uh, out of 10, I would say I'm going 7.6 out of 10 out of this one. Great edition of Blends of the Week. Of course, like always, Brewmaster Kyle will be back at the end of the episode for a little bit of a quick game of the week. But until then, thank you, Mr. Brewmaster Kyle. Anytime. Let's just jump to some uh, this Wednesday in sports history. I know I know we're kind of jumping at the bit here, just trying to get into our, our lots of hockey this week, right? We're, we're looking end of December, some exciting things. Couch Couch noted that at the beginning of the episode. we got a lot of hockey coming for you, and that's where we're going to go with, with this week in sports history, or today in sports history. Uh, we're going back to 1990. Paul Coffey becomes the second NHL defenseman ever to record 1,000 points doing so in a record-breaking 770 games. So Paul Coffey, an absolute legend, uh, huge respect for what he did as a defenseman. I think he put up the numbers he did as a defenseman, mad respect. So Couch Scott, I'm going to put you on the on the hot seat right away. If you were to compare a current NHL player to a Paul Coffey, who would that be? That's a pretty huge comparison to put up against. Paul Coffey was definitely a legend in his time. And I would say that a f- a pretty fair comparison would be a guy in my eyes as I would say probably Eric Carlson back in his day when he was an Ottawa Senator. Probably the closest thing to what we've seen is is his game to Paul Coffey's. Now, I mean, he's had a bit of a surge with the Sharks recently, but uh, his game back in Ottawa could definitely be comparable to Paul Coffey back in his prime. And just a quick note for our listeners, uh, this question and every other question coming after it is completely unscripted. Couch Scout doesn't get these questions ahead of time and so we just spring them on him and, and he reacts so he's that impressive boys all around the table do you like something like I, I know we talk a lot about the game how it was before and how it is now and how much quicker it is now it was a lot more physical back in the day when when a, when a Paul Coffey played there's a lot more goals scored in the game but do you still put as much weight into something like that and and does that change your your perspective on, on Paul Coffey or do you think he's like We'll just never see that kind of production ever again. I don't think we'll necessarily see that kind of production ever again. But I think also uh, looking back at you know the numbers he put up, I I think his career kind of uh, was underrated and kind of flew under the radar. Uh, being on those you know powerhouse Edmonton Oilers teams with Gretzky, I think he's one of those names that doesn't get mentioned enough uh, from those rosters. And then also you know after playing in. Uh, in Edmonton, he went over to Pittsburgh and then won another cup there with, with Lemur. So I think he always, I think he probably uh, took advantage of, of playing on some really good teams and some with really good players. But I think uh, it doesn't take any credit away from what he was able to do. Uh, I do think he was underrated, but I think, yeah, I, it's hard to see this, uh, this being repeated. Coach, you got any thoughts there? Yeah, I don't think I don't think you'll see anybody else get close to a thousand points, especially on the blue line. Um, you know, it, and and it's so impressive that he was able to get it done in in you know under eight hundred games, which means you're like over a point a game uh, for a guy on the blue line. I don't think you'll ever ever see that again. And and you know, we've seen Eric Carlson have a couple of years where where he's exploded and he's got you know a, he he had I think an eighty point season. Uh, but but is he gonna hit a thousand? No chance, no chance. I, I I've talked about this. I I don't like Eric Carlson. I think he's making eleven point five million dollars to do nothing, uh, and he gets to live 
He gets to live in a place with no snow. I think that's the best part about his contract, but otherwise, fuck him. Yeah, but he doesn't get to live in Orleans. You know who does, though? Pierre Dorian. Future former Sens GM. Respectfully. Respectfully, of course. Yeah, yeah. Jumping on to some World Juniors uh, talk, I, I mean... For those of you, obviously, that have, have listened previously with Couch Scout on, that's really his niche, his, his bread and butter. Uh, this is where he excels. Um, and so, so of course, we can't have Couch Scout on the week of the World Juniors starting and not talk World Juniors. So uh, let's jump right into it head first. Hope it's not a shallow swimming pool. Uh, the World Juniors start on Sunday. To you, Couch Scout, who are your, your key guys to watch? If you were to name maybe a handful, like three, four, maybe five max. This year, I would say, is one of the more interesting years when it comes to the World Juniors because, you know, we've had a plethora of guys who played last year who were in their 16 age, such as Brad Lambert uh, for Finland, that are now coming back. And now where we're going to be watching some of these players play, um, I'm excited to see who's going to really pan out and who's going to have a tremendously strong World Junior. Um, To begin, for me, I think one name that has come to mind uh, for me right away when you ask who to watch, well... For me, Team Finland has been a very dominant team for the past 10 years at the Worlds. And um, for me, there's one name that comes to mind, it's Joachim Kemmel. Joachim Kemmel plays in the uh, Finnish Elite League right now. And actually, he's doing a lot better than Brad Lambert, who's also his uh, team partner on his team with uh, Yip in the SM Liga. Right now, 12 goals, 6 assists, and 21 games played. He's actually threatening Barkov's under-18 record in the men's league right now. Uh, Joachim Kemmel is a right winger, has a great ability to finish plays, high IQ, great speed, and pretty much this is a guy that is potentially pushing for even top three or even top five. So this is a guy you should definitely be watching at this time. Uh, Another guy too that I'm starting to see a lot more of is Logan Cooley, who's committed to Notre Dame. Logan Cooley will be representing Team USA. We're talking about a two-way forward uh, that plays center, high competitive edge, and has the ability to play um, pretty much anywhere in your lineup. Uh, solid forechecking abilities and offensive abilities. Logan Cooley um, right now really rose up in the spots here, looking at potentially top three or top five. Um, and to cap it all off, um, I definitely want to mention this one specific player here that I am very big fan of, and this is maybe a guy that the auto centers might even consider uh, down the line. Uh, for me, it would be Simon Nemec of Team Slovakia. Simon Nemec is a defenseman, right-hand shot, uh, big body. This is a guy that uh, could definitely be wowing us at the Worlds. And you know what, this is, uh, he's playing on a team that, you know, doesn't usually have a lot of attention, but uh, this year, Team Slovakia uh, with Simon Nemec could definitely be uh, a nice little underdog to watch here. If you were going to pick one team to win it all, who would that be? That's a very interesting question. And I want to make you guys realize something. Over the last 10 years, so since 2012, there's only been three countries who've won gold, and that's Canada, the U.S., and Finland. And the interesting part is, since those 10 years, none of those teams have ever um, went back-to-back. So if we look at who won last year, which was the U.S., and we look at Team Canada, then we look at Team Finland, Team Canada is a very um, interesting team that has pretty much only one returnee from last year, and that's Cole Perfetti. Everyone else is pretty much new to the World Junior stage. So... One team to win it all for me right now. I'm liking the odds of Finland potentially winning again. And um, for me, Team Finland, you know, you got Eva, Levi Merlainen, you've got Brad Lambert, you got Joachim um, Kemmel. Those are all guys that you should be watching and potentially going to be dominating 
hopefully in this tournament. Yeah, it's it's nice to see because you mentioned you know uh, there hasn't been back to back champion in in quite a few years. Uh, just thinking back at at the time where was it Canada won six consecutive World Junior Championships. It's really nice to see uh, you know the parity that's now in the World Junior Championship uh, year in year out. You know you don't have the one or two teams that you go in and saying, oh, they're obviously going to dominate everyone. Um, so I, I think it's nice to see that, you know, you have these teams that, you you know, you're not usually seeing or used to seeing uh, do too well, you know, thinking Finland, they, they won last year. It's not a team that normally you would, you would think that would win uh, the World Junior Championships. You, you know, you always thinking back, think back at Canada or the big Canada-Russia uh, series and, and even the U.S. has been a kind of a powerhouse, so. Yeah, it's nice to see uh, a lot of teams that are going to be competitive this year. And I always love, you know, the tight games, you know, sometimes when you have the weaker teams coming in and you see the big blowout. So I'm, I'm hoping to see some some good tight uh, tight games and no 15 nothing games against Kazakhstan. Over the last 10 years, you know, um, Scandinavia has really produced a lot of great talent and has proven so at the Worlds. Um, now we're starting to see other small countries like, for example, Germany, um, if you guys remember with Team Stutzla, Lucas Reichel, John, John Paterka, um, you know, Team Germany was was a fun team to watch when those three guys were there. And now, um, like I just mentioned earlier, Team Slovakia, that's that's the team that um, if I have a team pushing into the uh, the quarterfinals, that would be Team Slovakia as my underdog. You know, this is a this is a great thing for hockey, you know, see other nations popping up out of nowhere. And you're like, OK, now we're dominating this draft. And another thing, too, I want to mention um about these small countries coming up is uh, there's this one kid, 16 years old, who's going to be representing Team Slovakia, um, who will be a top prospect for next year's draft, Dalibor Vorsky. This is a kid that uh, played on the Hylinka Gretzky team, uh, Hylinka Gretzky Cup, and scored eight goals, four assists in only five games. So this is another guy I want to mention here to watch, and that's why I'm very um, hyped up here to watch Slovakia play. So if you're watching um, Czech Republic versus Slovakia, could be very well worth watching. A few years ago, we saw, uh, you know, the Swiss team kind of surprising a lot of people with the, you know, they're a very interesting head coach and making these remarks and uh, they surprise a lot of people. What, how are they looking like this year? And do you think they have a chance of, you know, uh, turning heads again this year? Uh, the Swiss team uh, right now doesn't necessarily have anyone that's really standing out as a, um, a top player um, to watch. As a team as a whole, I think, when they made their push um, a few years ago, I have to say a lot of it is, you know, having the right coach, having the players believing in the the system. And that's a big factor, too, that we're even seeing in Vancouver. You know, Bruce Boudreau coming in, winning six games um, as the new head coach. A lot of it is the players needing to believe in the system and playing it. That's why you get the best coach possible to help you win. And you know what? I think a lot of it was that, having the right coach, being able to instruct them to make the right plays, uh, be competitive out there. And, you know, that's that's a big factor. And a lot of people like to throw that, you know, it's all about the players. But you know what? Having the right coach in play is also important. We bring up a good point, though, said he did, when it comes to the blowouts in the World Junior Championship and how we often see the group stage and kind of those early games is very watered down and you got your elite teams and you got everybody else. Do we do we feel that that's a broken system? Do we feel that this is something that should be fixed? Maybe it's less teams in the tournament, or we just have to play it the way it is, continue keeping it the way it is, where you got the teams that get relegated, 
teams that get promoted and just having to live with the fact that sometimes you're going to have a couple teams that don't really fit in, have no real business to be there, but that's just how the tournament runs. So for me, it, it, I, I like the idea of having multiple countries at the Worlds. I think it's the whole purpose of the World Juniors. You're going to have a lot of players that are coming from different countries, like, for example, Austria, uh, Czech Republic, uh, Germany, who may not have a ton of elite hockey players on their roster, but these are still guys that, you know, could potentially be um, players that play on your on your roster for your bottom six in the NHL, you know? So these are all guys that are still looked at um, at the NHL draft still. And to be considered, you know, maybe not part of the World Juniors would be a, a big slap. You know, the whole purpose of this tournament is to have the Worlds. If you wanted just the powerhouses, well, it doesn't make it as interesting. You know, we want to be able to see new talent. And for example, for many years, Slovakia, again, was not really considered a, a team worth watching. Now, this year, I'm, I'm all first team Slovakia to to make a push here. So I, I, I think even though there may be some blowouts, you know what, it, it, that's part of the game. It's, it, it is what it is. If you've got a Team Canada that's dominating and they're scoring eight goals, well, that's what it is. There's really not much you can change, but it's all about having the best players available for that country um, represent and do the best you can. I mean, again, Swiss was was a surprise and you know what not everyone had the swiss being that good so you know we could even be surprised with austria for all we know you know there's one kid that um plays for the 67s i forget his name but you know he's from austria he's going to be playing on that team you know he could have a really good year and and he might even help his team make it to the quarters you know we don't know that so it's it's pretty much a, a gamble on how it might fall but you know what i think i'm i'm happy to see all those teams there all those countries you know it's it's a good it's a good sport and it helps grow the sport. That's the most important part about all of this. It's growing the sport. Vincenz Rohrer is the Austrian that plays for the sixty sevens. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, Vincenz Rohrer. There you go. I couldn't remember his name. There, it's been a while. But uh, yeah, he's going to be uh, playing for that team, and uh, I believe he is eligible for this year's draft as well. So, uh, Team Canada just recently announced their their captain and alternates. Uh, I was just curious to see, do you agree with the, with the guys they picked? Do you think it's a good fit? And, you know, you mentioned that Cole Perfetti is one of the only returning players and him not getting the captaincy. Uh, how do you feel about that? And do you think they made the right calls? For me, Caden Gooley is a defenseman that um, very highly touted. Um, so he, he got recently traded to the Edmonton Oil Kings, who, again, the Edmonton Oil Kings are uh, going to be very well represented here with Jake Nybers as well joining Team Canada. I think the biggest thing we need to think about here is that it doesn't really matter who's your leadership group because all of these guys that are there are already very high elite guys that are already leading other junior teams. So as long as you've got, you know, a good structure of guys who one might be maybe not as much of a leader, but you need to be able to say that this guy, I have a trust in him and that's part of the coaching staff's decision, right? I have a big trust in this defenseman or this forward and I think he could definitely help lead our team um, another example would be um, Team USA they just named Jake Sanderson captain uh, Jake Sanderson would is he the best fitting guy for the job well I mean most people would say he's probably the best defenseman available that's not playing in NHL so I think Team Canada did fairly well uh, Ken Gooley is a very respectable defenseman if I recall I believe Cole Perfetti did get um, an assistant um, and Cole Perfetti currently plays in the American Hockey League with the Manitoba Moose. You know, I think Cole Perfetti could have most certainly have been deserved that uh, captaincy. 
but um, you know, again, it's all about what the coach feels, and if the coach feels this is the right guys, then it is so be it. I, I I'm pretty happy with the captaincy. I would say for Team Canada. Talking more uh, specifically about a couple guys, I wanted to get your perspective on a comparison between one guy that I think we're a little biased uh, towards in Ottawa and Jake Sanderson and how he goes up against Owen Power. So, of course, Sanderson, captain of the U.S. team, and then Owen Power, a key member of the Canadian team. So, Jake Sanderson, if you want to compare both defensemen, you know, they're both great defensemen. They're both going to have excellent NHL careers, in my opinion. One is more of a physical brute who can definitely use his body effectively to separate puck from man. And then you have another who has excellent skating ability and can pretty much dance around anybody. Um, if I were to compare uh, Jake Sanderson to someone right now, I, I have my eyes on Ryan McDonough. And that might not be the greatest comparison, but if you look back in his days with the New York Rangers, Ryan McDonough was a tremendously good shutdown defenseman that you know did produce once in a while and was still a, comp- uh, a competitive defenseman. Now is still part of the top four defensemen in Tampa. Um, I believe now he's in his mid 30s. You know, Ryan McDonough is a defenseman that, uh, you know, to me strikes a lot what Jake Sanderson is, except he's got that skating ability, which, you know, which is what's thriving a lot in the NHL today is can you skate? And this is why guys are, you know, lasting a lot longer in NHL. Can you skate? You have an extreme skating ability. Another guy, too, to compare to would be Quinn Hughes, but Quinn Hughes is more offensively touted, but has the skating ability that Jake Sanderson has. So that's the factor of Jake Sanderson. As for our Owen Power, Owen Power, again, big-bodied defenseman, uh, separates man from puck, able to move the puck, um, still needs to work on his offensive abilities. I would compare him more to an Aaron Ekblad, more of a shutdown guy. Um, but, you know... At the end of the day, both defensemen are going to be great, but two different guys completely. Both play a different game, and uh, both will be very important pieces to their respective NHL rosters down the line. Oh, man. Every time I hear that that name, McDonough, it sends shivers down my spine. You know, It gives me P- PTSD from that uh, uh, Scott Gomez trade. God damn. Brutal. Today, the NHL announced, or I guess it's been reported, that they are not sending their players to the Olympics in Beijing. Uh, which is pretty key. I think some some of the higher end guys in the NHL were a little bit disappointed, saying that they would have liked to play in the, NH- in, in the in the Olympics, but justifiably with the COVID outbreaks across the league and the added risk of sending these guys abroad to play in China, the NHL erred on the side of caution, protected their players, and and essentially protecting their season. Um, I guess the first question here is: Do you guys think this is justified? And two. How much do you really care about the NHL players playing in the Olympics? I mean, I, it's always nice to see them play in the Olympics. Uh, you know, it's the kind of the one, the one time a year where you get to see all the top, you know, the top talents from every team going head to head. You do have the World Championships every year, but you have a lot of guys that are stuck playing the playoffs, so you don't get to see the, you know, you're not used to seeing, you know, the Crosby's and going up against the Ovechkins, uh, even though they're a little bit older names now, but. Uh, so that was kind of like your one time every four years where you could see these juggernauts going head to head. So it's always disappointing when you you hear that you know they're not going to be participating. But in this case, you know you do a, a, it is definitely more understandable than you know than the uh, what was it the Pyeong, Pyeongchang or Pyongyang Olympics where uh, where they didn't participate either. But you know with the whole COVID situation, them already having to you know postpone. Uh, a bunch of games, uh, NHL games because of COVID. I, I definitely understand 
the reasoning behind it. You know, one, you don't want to send your guys away to get injured, but then also risking uh, guys traveling and, you know, contracting uh, contracting COVID. So definitely, definitely disappointed, but at the same time, totally understand their, their decision and the reasoning behind it. For me, it's it's one of those things where the NHL is a business and you have to protect your assets. And your assets are basically your players, which you owe the money because of NHL contracts. Now, it is under it is unfortunate that uh, the Olympics will not be receiving NHL hockey players, whether they go on or not. That's that's a different story. But um, I, I think it's a good move by the NHL. You know, you need to protect your players. These are the guys that bring in the most revenue to your team. Um, sorry, to your league. And at the end of the day, if if you don't have that, and you have a lot of guys that get sick, or potentially, you know, maybe something worse can happen other than getting sick. You know, you don't want that, and that's not good news. You know, for the NHL and for its respective teams. So, I think it's a good move by the league, and I and I don't disagree with it one bit. I think the one person I could see being very disappointed in this is probably Alexander Ovechkin, who has a lot of passion and pride for. Uh, playing for Team Russia, and I think he's been wanting to win Olympic gold for a while now. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, it is what it is, and, you know, it's the times that we live in. Yeah, another thing, actually, I was thinking about today is, you know, we're thinking about Crosby. He got the chance to represent his country and win gold, but you got guys that are kind of in the middle of their prime uh, that would have the chance to play for Team Canada and, you know, Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon where... You know, they might ne- never get the chance to play for their country uh, and represent their country in the world stage. Uh, and I, it's it's a little sad because outside of winning the cup, an Olympic gold medal is up there in terms of career achievements. And if they're not able to, to participate in the Olympics and represent their country, uh, obviously sad for fans, but I'm, I'm sure it's uh, re- really sad for them as well. Another piece that's going to be interesting to see it's been uh, it's been recently announced that the team Canada is pulling out of the Spangler Cup, and so naturally a lot of these guys are going to end up the guys that would have played on that Spangler Cup team are going to end up on the Canadian Olympic team. Looking at some of those names, pretty interesting. I mean, I'm seeing Eric Fair, Jason Demers, Ryan Spooner, Landon Ferraro. Uh, some pretty interesting names there. One I wanted to touch on is a good friend of the show, local guy, a uh, good buddy of ours, Max Ferrano. Do you think there's a chance that that he can get a, a serious look on the Olympic team? I think so. Max Verano had a great time in the, the SHL there. I think he could definitely be pushing for a spot again. I think it's all about um, showing up to camp, showing what you can do. Um, I could definitely see Max on the uh, even on the top six there playing in men's league. I, I can see that pass potentially. You know, he's dominating in the SHL, so I don't see why not. Absolutely. Uh, I think. I mean, a guy who is dominating and amongst the top scorers and I mean I would say probably uh, arguably the second best league uh, in Europe third best league in the world behind the NHL and KHL so I think if they don't at least give him a look or give him a chance to uh, to have a chance to make the team I think it'd be a mistake on their part and love to see him love to see him skate out there in the in the Canada jersey. I speak for myself, and I say that that would be uh, tremendous. I think that would be really, really cool. Other guys uh, that you think are surprised that, I mean, we obviously know a lot of the guys that aren't in the league right now that that have had success in the past. I mentioned Ryan Spooner specifically. Uh, Other guys that you can see cracking an NHL, like, not excuse me, not an NHL, but an Olympic roster? Uh, You know what, off the top of my head, I don't really have a name that I could think of, but uh, no, there's tons of guys that could definitely be pushing 
uh, for that roster. You know, there's a few guys that could definitely be pushing. I think if Team Canada really started looking into guys that are playing in the American Hockey League, that would be maybe interesting. Um, that could be a good fit too. You know, that's another league that uh, gets overshadowed for talent. So, and all of these guys that used to play in the American Hockey League um, are now playing in Europe. So, you know, a lot of guys just stay close to home and stuff like that. So, I think if, you, if you're going to look for any good Canadian players to, you know, replace the NHLers, I think the American Hockey League would be a great place to start to, to look for some talent. If we were to circle back a little bit on the World Juniors, and this, isn't touch, this can touch on the Olympics as well. In a non-COVID year, if you have a, because we, we see that debate every year, if you have a highly touted prospect and he's on your NHL club and World Junior time comes around and he's eligible for that, um, which, which I guess, school of thought are you on? Is it send him to the World Juniors uh, where he can develop playing against the best at his age rather than playing four or five minutes a night with the NHL team? Or do you not risk your asset getting injured or feel that he's better suited practicing with an NHL club during that time? If I'm a general manager, I'm taking the risk sending him over there because at the end of the day, if he's not playing, he's not getting ice time. If he's not getting ice time, he's not developing. You know, if he, I would rather he get in two, three games. God forbid he catches COVID, you know, he'll recover like everyone else, hopefully. You know, if not, well, it is at the, at the end of the day, it's also his decision, the player's decision too, right? You can um, ask him to go, but it's also ultimately his decision. If, if he has a dream to go play for the Worlds and represent his country, you know, and he gets, uh, he gets accepted to go, why not? You know, I, I would in, definitely in fairness, be though. giving him that chance. In fairness, though, it's not his decision, right? Well, I mean, here's the thing, right? If you don't, if you, if you're against um, the whole COVID thing and you don't want to catch it and all that stuff, well, I mean, hey, I respect that completely. You know, if you don't want to risk yourself, for sure, but, um, for, for sure, in that perspective. But I'm saying, if 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 the player wants to go and you're not you're not willing to send him, that's he's rough. Got no choice. I, say, I feel right? bad for. I would feel bad for the kid. I mean, yeah. again, if, if it's my decision. I'm I'm letting him go. I'm letting him go play mm-hmm. because there's nothing worse than having a prospect sit, sit down and not um, not play. You know, you're not helping his development. And and another thing too, I want to quickly mention. You know, look at all the kids that got drafted in 2021, and now there was a lot of kids that did not get drafted that year who are now looking like, oh wow, okay, they're pretty good now this season. And these guys that were supposed to get drafted in 2021 might get drafted in 2022. Um, and that, those are all guys that are going to be 18, 19 years old, overagers now. And these are guys that are having great seasons in the U.S. development program or even in the, um, the CHL. So that, that, that's, that's bound to happen, you know. But you got to have these guys playing. You have to because it's, it's good for their development. Seti, coach? Yeah, I think it really depends on what they're contributing to your NHL roster. You know, if they're a bottom six guy... Uh, or you know, uh, bottom pair defenseman on your on your NHL roster, and like you said, they're only contributing you know five, uh, five seven minutes a night, and they're not helping your team out too much, and they're really just in your, on your roster for that, you know that NHL experience. Then yeah, go ahead, send them. I think there's there's no loss there. But then if if you got a guy who you know one of those freak talents where like a, like a McDavid or a, a guy who's even right in his rookie season, he's you know one of the top contributors on your team. I think at that in that case, I, I'd be a little bit more conservative and you know wouldn't want to risk sending him away and get getting injured. So I really think it depends on you know the how much value are you are you losing sending the guy away to to this tournament. 
But uh, yeah, you always love to see these these young NHL talents uh, representing their country for maybe their last time on the World Junior stage. I, I just realized you said without COVID. Without COVID, you know, like yeah, yeah. I I mean, if I if I have a player on my team that I feel is is good and is helping my team right now contribute, um, there's a chance I would not send him. You know, but I mean, if he's not getting you know ten fifteen minutes of ice time and he's averaging less than ten minutes, and it would be better for his development to be playing you know fifteen to seventeen minutes on the World Junior stage. By all means, I'm going to send him there. You know. It's it's the most important thing for his development is to get the proper ice time and to be able to compete. Um, but again, I think we can compare this back to like the Curtis Lazar situation back in Ottawa. I remember when we we had him made our NHL roster pretty much right away and became captain of Team Canada. Um, the young man was given you know bottom six minutes, and it was a good thing that Ottawa sent him there. At least gave him the opportunity to play at the world stage. But um, and the, it doesn't always pan out like that, right? I mean, it all depends. If he's in junior. And you want to send him over to go play, yeah, by all means, because he's in junior. Please, by all means. But I mean, if he's on your NHL roster right now, he's got high end talent. Let's say top three uh, pick player, and he's helping your team right now. Um, you know, that's a tough decision. It all depends on where you're where you're standing, right? If your if your team's in a rough spot and um, you you can't seem to get out of the rut, you may want to keep him because you know you kind of want you kind of need that player to help you out. You know, you can't always be bottoming out every year and tanking. Yeah, I think uh, I think what's really interesting is is if the NHL players don't go, uh, which I mean, not if they're I know they're not going, but you'll be able to see, you know, uh, guys from around the world who 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 are hardly ever watched by anybody in the NHL. So if you got a guy who goes in, the, you know, goes to China, plays in the Olympics, plays really well, that may attract some NHL attention. Uh, I think I think everybody's goal is is to is to one day be able to say they played in the NHL, and I think that the Olympics not having the big stars there, not taking that that shine away from guys who otherwise you wouldn't ever hear of. I'm sure scouts will be watching. I think this is a great time for scouts to sit in front of the TV, and and watch these unknown teams, watch these countries that are not known for having great hockey players, and you know. They may be able to find a a gem, just a, a guy that just flew under the radar, uh, due to the fact that he's from you know Austria or he's from uh, Norway or or you know from from these random random places where you don't think that hockey's that is that important or is that played. So I think that's the one way we have to look at it. How can your team improve if they find you know by by you know, in a way, you watch these games and you find a kid or or even even an older guy who can play, and then eventually that guy he could be playing on on your on your NHL team. So I think that's a nice part about it. But again, it sucks like that the big guns won't be there. Even if they were going, I wasn't sure if I was going to watch. Now I'm definitely not fucking watching. That's for sure. That was actually my next question to you guys. Without the NHL players there. Is that making you? Would that make you less likely to watch the the hockey portion of the Olympics? I I think I'll I'll watch. It's one of the the events that I usually pay close closest attention to, and like like Coach said, it gives you a chance to see you know either players that you haven't really heard of before, or kind of gets you to see some older players that you used to see playing in the NHL that have kind of moved on, and kind of it's you get to see them. Uh, 
still living out their dream, even though they're not maybe playing at the same level they used to. It's always nice to see uh, some ex-NHL players uh, out there representing their country where otherwise they wouldn't be able to. For myself, you know, I'd still watch. At the end of the day, hockey's hockey. And uh, we love the game. We love the sport. And for me, whether it's, you know, guys that are past their prime, in their prime, or it doesn't matter, you know, hockey's hockey. And they're, they're, they're doing a big favor representing our country. You know, we, we should be watching. It's our favorite sport, and it's our it's the Canadian national sport too. So at the end of the day, we want these guys to win. We want to be proud, and we should be supporting them no matter what. And the best thing you can do is just watch. In all honesty, uh, I probably won't watch that much unless Max Verona is playing. Then I'll watch religiously. And then you won't miss a single minute. Yeah. What time? What's the time change in China again? They're going to be playing these games at like 3 in the morning our time. Anyways, uh, NHL talk really quickly here. Some of you guys may have heard the criticism coming from Kevin Bieksart, as Don Cherry would say, Ke- Kevin Bieska, uh, towards Thomas Shabbat uh, on Saturday night. Uh, on Hockey Night in Canada. So really quickly, wanted to get your perspective on that criticism, basically pointing out a few mistakes he made. One of them led to a goal uh, in the game on Saturday night. Is that justified? I I think since then, BX has actually gone on the Wally and Mathot show. He's clarified his contract. He's walked some of it back and says that he doesn't really watch a lot of the Suns games and he does respect the game that Shabbat plays. Uh, But where do you sit on that? We'll start with you, uh, Couch Couch. For an analyst to have um, an opinion and not actually um, watching the player is a bit of an embarrassment. You know, that's that's a little rough. Um, I mean, we as an analyst, you need, you need to be able to analyze, watch, and understand um, a player. Now, he may have had an off night in that game. And you know what? Some of the best players in the world have off nights. Um, and there's been a lot of criticism on players for many years, even looking at... Uh, Carlson, Carlson, for example, then his two-way game was sometimes a little sketch, you know, didn't really back-check all that much. Um, you know, there's been nights where I've seen the likes of Hogsovechkin just hovering in a neutral zone, never back-checking and actually not doing, being a 200-foot player. Guys are going to have bad nights, and they're going to be sloppy sometimes, and even on defense, you know, probably one of the most difficult positions to play, and it takes many years to develop a defenseman. Even looking at um, Eric Brandstrom, for example, he hasn't made the NHL roster yet, and he's an offensive defenseman, you know, and that's that's bound to happen because it takes a while to develop. Um, I don't think Kevin BX's comments were are necessary. Um, you know, this is a struggling NHL team that we can clearly see that's very young, so there's bound to be a lot of mistakes, and that blue line is notorious for being, um, you know, poor, poorly um, coached and poor, poorly um, playing, so... And even when I went to go watch the Senators recently back in um, Ottawa, you know, I watched a game, I think it was against Calgary, you know. The defensive system is is lacking, and, uh, you know, that can't all be blamed on Thomas Shabbat, unfortunately, you know. It's not just one defenseman holding the whole blue line there. It's it's a team effort. Speaking to that effect, and and you mentioned Eric Brandstrom, the, the Ottawa, I guess, fandom is very, very uh, active when it comes to commenting on Eric Brandstrom. What something's got to give when it comes to Eric Brandstrom because if you think about that trade that brought him over to Ottawa, I still think it's one of probably the worst trades that's ever happened to the organization in losing Mark Stone, uh, who should be the captain of the Ottawa Senators today. There's a lot of pressure on a guy like Eric Brandstrom to, to, to not only make this team, but be a big piece of this team. And he's injured right now. But some would say, and I'm, I'm kind of in that same same boat, 
that he hasn't been given a fair shot to prove himself with the big club in, in Ottawa. And I think when you bring in a guy like that and, and, and he's coming in the other way, you know, the other way where where Stone is leaving, a big guy like Stone, very popular with the organization and, and its fans, there's a lot of pressure to be that guy. And, and Dorian tried to sell that to the team. For those that remember, it was in the middle of kind of we're rebuilding, we're selling off all of our best pieces. I know you love these guys. Uh, you love Mark Stone, but Eric Brandstrom is the best. And and I still remember this because I, I always say that Pierre Dorian is full of shit. But he called it the, the proudest day of his career in trading for Eric Brandstrom. And we're now here, what is it, two, three years later? Eric Brandstrom can barely squeeze into the roster, into the lineup. He's finally gotten a chance. He's broken his hand. And, and he hasn't really panned out for whatever reason. But where do you stand on Eric Brandstrom? What the hell is going on there? So you have to understand, an NHL roster has six spots for, for defense. And if you look at the way the team is structured, the way they're they're building that defensive core, you've got guys like Sanderson, Clavin, and et cetera. You know, you've also got Lassie Thompson. And then you're trying to figure out where, where does Eric Brandstrom fit into this big plan and you know Eric Branstrom's an offensive defenseman that could that has top four potential. And the problem here I see in Ottawa is that you got a coach like DJ Smith who heavily relies on older guys, kind of like Guy Boucher did. Um, I can almost relate this to the Logan Brown situation. I think last time I checked, Logan Brown has six points in his last nine games, which is also equal to what Zach Sanford has, which is also six points. But he's played more games. So this all comes down to the fact that maybe. The Senators need to start understanding that, you know, you do need to start playing your young guys. I know they have this thing where it's like, oh, we don't want to play them yet. We don't think they're comfortable yet to play on the team. We want to play veteran guys because we trust them. And we need to start letting go of this attitude where we trust in the veterans and let the young guys play because they've we've they've proven that they can outplay the veterans. The veterans don't have the speed anymore. The biggest thing that I recall about Eric Brandstrom is that this guy loves to play on his off wing uh, on defense. And the biggest problem with that is, I think he's a left-hand shot defenseman. If you want to play on your right side, you're not going to be as defensively um, capable of moving the puck very well or or along the boards. And I can understand that on a, from a coach's perspective where you don't want your defenseman playing on the opposite side and you don't want two left-hand guys on the ice. So... There's a lot of headbutting here where Branstrom wants the right side, the coach wants him to play on the left, so there's a lot of that involved as well in all this. Um, I think Branstrom is ready to play in National Hockey League. I think he is. I think there's a lot of the teams holding him back. Um, he needs to give, be given a fair shot. Uh, Lassie Thompson got himself a fair shot playing. Um, I think it's time that the organization starts to understand that Eric Brandstrom is an offensive defenseman. If you're not going to utilize him as an offensive defenseman, it may be time to try and consider polishing him up and maybe move him out but at this point he has no value being injured you're not going to have any trade value on the market um and he needs to go dominate the american hockey league now if he's not dominating the american hockey league well this is a loss for the ottawa senators you moved on from mark stone which i agreed as one of the worst moves in the sense history because you know you, you you still need good solid roster players on your roster to show the young guys hey this is how we do things and it's great to have veterans, but if you don't have quality, experienced, skilled veterans, well, you're not helping your cause. Um, an example would be, would be the Los Angeles Kings. Look, look what they're doing right now. They've got 
some experienced guys, Dustin Brown, Kopitar, Doughty. All these guys are in their 30s, but then they're introducing some of the younger guys like Gabe Velarde, um, Alex LaFalo. I think they've recently had, um, what's his name, Brian Clark, have a few shots too. You know, So you got to try and get the young guys to come in, but be exposed by some of the experienced talent. You know, and Mark Stone would have been a great piece to have in Ottawa, but if, if Ottawa was not able to sign this guy, that's on the ownership's fault. Ownership, and, and the reason why I'm saying ownership is because we all know at the end of the day the GM has de- definitely does not have the final word in all this, especially here in Ottawa. So, it's it's unfortunate, but if Eric Brandstrom doesn't um, show the Senators that he that he deserves to be up there, it's going to be harder for the Senators to to want to give him the ice time. And he may need to make a sacrifice in playing on that left side if he wants to actually make the um, the roster. I, I think he's an NHL defenseman. He just needs to be given the shot. Last, Last question Brandstrom. for you. I was going to say, oh, if you I got one more question, go ahead. I was, I was going to make a, a small little wrap-up remark, but go ahead. Last question. When it comes to the direction of this organization... We saw what happened with Michael Delzato being put on waivers. Matt Murray, a, a, a catastrophic failure of a signing and a, a trade and a signing. But Michael Delzato, some of the comments that DJ Smith made was basically, we, we got to make room for some of the younger guys. Michael Delzato in the offseason was signed to a two-year deal. Were we not thinking at that point, we don't need a Michael Delzato because we got to make room for, 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 for the young guys? What changed in the first half mark halfway mark of the season for you to have that epiphany as an organization and so i guess where i'm going within this with this question is on a scale of zero to ten how much faith do you have in this front office for the ottawa senators right now so front office i'm also going to throw in the pro scouts in there as well because i mean they're they're part of uh, the part of that whole situation um if i were to rate that absolutely one to ten i I think i'm going to give them a two and i'm thinking being very nice by giving them a two because at the end of the day they do have that authority to make moves, but at the same time, they're still being um, held by a few strings due to Eugene Malik's um, reach. Now, at the end of the day, pro scouts are heavily relied on, you know, to, to make sure you find the right guy. When it comes to signing these contracts, um, that's definitely on the general manager. You know, you have to heavily re- rely on your pro scouts, but at the same time, you still have responsibility to make sure that you're covering your behind and making sure that you're signing the right guy here. Now, Michael Delzato, to me, um, has not played, I don't think he's ever played an American Hockey League game in his entire career, and he's played in the NHL for quite a while now, since he got drafted in 08. Delzato, to me, you know, I think he needs some time in the A um, to, de- to really develop his game. This is, again, another defenseman that was an offensive defenseman, had some great times in New York, then dropped off. Um, I don't think this was the guy that they needed in Ottawa. Um, I believe this was a very big mistake by the organization to pick him up and sign him for a two-year. In regards to their plan, well, you know, this is a team that I don't think they necessarily have a plan in mind here. This is one of those things where they just like, we needed a guy because we don't trust our young guys yet. That's the mentality and the vibe I'm getting. And then they're starting to realize that, oh, okay, Last Thompson can actually play hockey. Oh, wow. It's because the Senators, they they want to develop properly. They want to take the time and polish their players to make sure that they actually pan out and become great hockey players. And that's not let's not criticize the amateur scouting in our development program. Let's not criticize that at all. That's been one of the, the biggest, strongest assets of this organization and probably the proudest thing we have. Now, 
we have to we have to believe in the system that um, Troy Mann is doing. We have to believe that in a lot. So if he is polishing Eric Brandstrom to take over Michael Delzato's job, he's doing his job. So for Michael Delzato to be sent to the to the um, on waivers, you know, that that's a good sign. You need that to happen. But at the same time, not very smart on the organization to have given him a two-year contract. Maybe, maybe that was the only way to get him. Because again, you're Ottawa. You got to make sacrifices and you got to make some unfavorable deals to get guys over here. And it's been very well known to get guys in Ottawa. It's, it's almost like trying to pull teeth out of a out of a man's mouth. You know, it's not easy. So you 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 can argue and say, wow, the organization is a shit show, and you know they're not moving forward because they're making stupid moves. But at the same time. This is a, this is an organization that's very desperate, and they're heavily relying on prospects to flourish. But when it comes time for them to make the jump, they're a little skittish because you've got a coach who wants to play veterans, and you got an organization who wants to make sure they're actually polishing their prospects properly before they make the jump. So there's so many factors involved in all this, and it's it's really unfortunate. But I think the Michael Dell's auto move is actually a good move to have made him go down to the A. It's it's a step forward, and and we'll take it as a win. All right. Well, you know my my comment doesn't really work anymore, but I'll still throw it out there. I was going to say, uh, you know, we we're talking about Eric Brandstrom, and as a closing remark, I was going to say we can go back full circle. Uh, the night that he made his NHL debut was also the NHL debut of debut of the one and only Max Verano. So there you go. Look at that. Tie it up with a bow. Uh, you know what, guys? Shout out to Couch Scout, always bringing it. Every time we have it on, anytime we ask him, he's always uh, super generous with his time. So, so thank you for uh, coming along and, and for providing your insight and your expertise in this, buddy. We we really appreciate it. You're welcome, guys. Take care. Oh, whoa, whoa, we're not we're not getting rid of you just yet. Hold on, you're not done yet. We're just thanking you. But again, guys, you can follow Couch Scout uh, on Twitter at six one three Couch Scout, and then uh, read his blog, uh, CouchScoutHockey.blogspot.com. So I realize now that at the beginning of the episode, we forgot to give Kyle an assignment to search up uh, throughout the episode. Um, and so I guess that's my Christmas gift to uh, Brewmaster Kyle. But we're going to bring him back in here and uh, we're going to quickly do a round table and get our games of the week. Uh, so Kyle, you've had 45 minutes to an hour to prep. What's your game of the week this week? Well, I think I'm going to go next Monday, uh, Slovakia, because Kauska was talking so much about Slovakia. Um, I'm going Slovakia, Sweden, and that's the game to watch next week on Monday, December 27th. All right, we're going to go to the next one. Seti? That's a tremendous pick, Kyle. I'm glad you were paying attention. Um, I'm going to go ravens Bengals on Boxing Day. I think the winner of that game is going to win the division and probably be the only one of that division to make the playoffs. So it's a huge game, and uh, hopefully the Ravens can can have enough of a lead where they don't have to go for another fucking two-point conversion at the end of the game. Forgot to touch on that. Coach, what's your game of the week? Christmas Day, Colts-Cardinals, primetime game. The Cardinals are one of the hotter teams to start the year and, and have since uh, lost a few games, so they've come back to earth a little bit. And uh, I think the Colts will be able to take advantage of that. So December 25th, Christmas Day, 8-15, primetime, Colts-Cardinals. Coach, if you want to watch that, you you can go somewhere else because that will not be on the TV at my house. I know. I'll watch it on my phone. As long as it's not F1, I'm okay. Oh. 
All right. Well, I guess this is the last time we're going to hear from Couch Scout. So hope everybody, I hope everybody enjoyed what he had to say. Couch Scout, you got a game of the week? So for me, it would be definitely be watching Team Canada play against uh, Czech Republic. I think that's going to be a very good game to watch. I'm excited to go watch uh, Connor Bedard. Unfortunately, he's had a very slow start to the WHL season. Um, I think he's somewhere around a point a game. I want to see if they're going to put him in a top six role, get some ice time. I'm looking forward to see if he's going to be able to dominate on the world junior stage. I love it, boys. Uh, I'm going to all the way to New Year's Eve. We've got the three-seed Georgia Bulldogs uh, and the two-seed Michigan Wolverines in NCAA football. Winner goes to the CFB championship game. Uh, I think this one's just going to be super close. I know I've said that previously in college football games, but I actually think this one's going to be close. They're both 12-1 and coming into this. Uh, I'm excited. I just think you got two heavyweights that are going toe-to-toe, two really good teams. And if I'm going to put money on it, I'm putting on Michigan. But I'd love to hear what Seti has to say about that. Yeah, I, uh, I I like Michigan in this one. Can't go against the, any of the Harbaugh brothers. Surprise. I thought you were going to say you're going to put like 200 bucks on the underdog. Nah, can't, can't bet against the Harbaugh. Unless they're going head-to-head in the Super Bowl, then you got to go with John. Ooh, don't remind me. And that's a wrap to our episode here, our final episode of 2021 of the Gym Class Zeros podcast. As always, you can follow us at Twitter or on Twitter at Gym Class Zeros Pod with a zero on Instagram at Gym Class Zeros Pod. For SETI, Brewmaster Kyle, Coach, Producer Segs, and today, Couch Scout Hockey, uh, I'm George. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you, and we hope that you hear from us. Uh, in 2022. Uh, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and uh, we wish you a great, great new year. It's not turning me off yet. Grow the sport. Scott Gomez trade. God damn. Absolutely. That's a little rough. Trying to pull teeth out of a, out of a man's mouth, you know? It's not easy. Max Verano. As long as it's not F1, I'm okay.